0: Podcast listeners, Al here. I had Malcolm Hawker, who's the head of data strategy for Prophecy On, and we dove pretty deep into master data management and data governance. Hey, I wanted to keep it all, so I'm going to have two sessions here, around 30 minutes each. This is part one. Thank you for listening. Bye. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Uh-oh-oh-oh-oh.
0: Hey podcast listeners, Al Martin here. I'm just gonna jump right in today. I have a guest, uh, Malcolm Hawker. Malcolm is the head of data strategy for Prophecy. He's also the contributing writer for Forbes. He's been at Gartner, senior director, analyst. Uh, He is a thought leader in the field of master data management and governance. He's a speaker on data and analytics best practices. As I mentioned, He's the head of data strategy now for prophecy and this is really around MDM data governance etc Thank you Malcolm for being here it's a pleasure speaking with you getting to know you
1: thanks Al look forward to the conversation
0: hey I always allow the guests to give us or I ask the guests if you will to uh, give us a little of your history your experience you know where you've come from where you've been where you're going
1: oh, I'll gosh. leave it I'll leave it up to you gosh yeah the last bit is is fun where, where I'm going. Uh, um, uh, But yeah, well, a little bit about me. So yes, I'm the head of data strategy for Prophecy. Prophecy is a uh, software vendor. We make MDM, Master Data Management Software. Been in this role for about three months. Prior to that, uh, for nearly three years, I was an analyst with Gartner, as you mentioned. So my name is on the last three beloved magic quadrants for, uh, for MDM, Master Data Management, uh, the critical capabilities document, which basically kind of frames out the, the MDM software space, what, what Gartner considers MDM and what doesn't consider MDM. Uh, right. And a number of other research notes uh, over that three-year span related to governance and MDM best practices, touching on as well some things like uh, data strategy, data sharing, data architectures, other fun stuff that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about today. My journey to the data and analytics space kind of happened just through chance and I kind of stumbled on it uh, nearly about 20 years ago now. I started my career uh, on the product management side. Uh, I, I was on a, on a track towards uh, chief product officer, I actually kind of hit that at a small startup uh, for the better part of a year. I was running a product management team uh, and had been in the product management space but as life would have it, uh, things kind of led me into the IT space. I uh, was doing some consulting for a number of years, uh, working with a lot of my ex-peers, uh, a lot of my formulative years, as it were, <laughs> in the business world. And a lot of that product management experience came through working for this little internet startup called AOL uh, from 1995 to 2005. So I was able to ride the, the internet bubble up. And then uh, have it come crashing down hard all over <laughs> top of me. Uh, but that was a it was a fantastic experience uh, being kind of at ground zero. We weren't in Silicon Valley, but we were in the next best thing, which was which was AOL, kind of the you know ground zero of, of the consumer uh, you know growth of the of the internet at a very 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 interesting time. Uh, but I started consulting after my product management days uh, to a lot of my my ex cohorts from AOL. Worked my way into a, a consulting opportunity where I was working with a $2 billion publicly traded company, and, and I was hired as a consultant to answer a very simple question, or what I thought at the time was was a very simple question. And that, that question was, how many customers do we have? And as a consultant with an SOW, right? Like my SOW was, was statement of work was was pretty tight. It was pretty short. It was like, hey, go figure out how many customers we have and, and, and help us build some analytics around that. It's like, man, this is going to be a slam dunk. This is going to be the easiest thing ever. Maybe, maybe a little bit of analytics, concentric stuff, and maybe a little data warehousing type work. But I didn't think it was going to be very hard at all uh, until I started to peel the onion. And I, wor- I learned about this, this magical world of, of MDM, Master Data Management. And what I figured out was that company was like most companies, particularly those that had grown rapidly especially through merger and acquisition, where they had different silos of customer data all over the place. And and Silo 1 would say Acme Incorporated, and Silo 2 would say Acme LLC, and Silo 3 would say something completely else. And figuring out how to answer that question became a fairly daunting task that ended up, actually, uh, in me being hired on by that company, ending up writing the IT organization of that company, and, and ever since, I've been literally enamored with with the world of data and analytics, particularly MDM, not exclusively, because w- what I found was that I was incredibly attracted to, to this notion of something being very, very simple on the surface, but yet under the covers being rather complex. And the type of person and the type of leader needed to solve for these problems, I think, is a bit of a unique blend. You have to be a bit... And this is not just MDM. This is all... Data management. I would argue that these are the things that, that a good CDO chief data officer should be, which is very much a salesperson, very charismatic, very outgoing, very attracted to problem solving. A lot of the squishy stuff that isn't necessarily even, you know, related to building a database table or, or defining a data architecture. Um, so for the last 20 years or so, I've, I've been in the data and analytics space, worked my way up to, 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 to Gartner. I'd actually been an IBM customer. In the past, uh, I, I bought uh, a WebSphere product uh, for MDM. We would actually been talking with this little company called Initiate uh, that did MDM software and was subsequently acquired by by IBM. They did IBM or they did MDM software actually quite quite well at the time. Um, so uh, that's a short version of how I got pulled into the into the data and analytics space. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of hype that I look forward to talking to about more. Where are we going? Gosh, um, I, the future is bright. Uh, and I wrote about this in the last MDM Magic Quadrant, actually, uh, The and as well as this note I, I published at Gartner called The State of MDM. I think the future here is really bright because what we've seen over the last couple of years, particularly as a result of the pandemic, is this shift from MDM being phase two or phase three or phase four of some project, right? We'll get to that. Like, we'll, yeah, let's focus on the ERP consolidation. Let's focus on this other stuff. We'll figure out the MDM stuff later. Mm-hmm. That's shifted. That's no longer uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of corporate leaders. What I'm hearing is, is MDM is a foundation of digital transformation, right? If we want to enhance our customer experience, if we want to optimize our supply chains, right? If If we want to understand and, and, and improve on the product experience of what people are seeing on websites from a product perspective, that's all MDM. Data is sitting at the the core of your digital transformation house. And if that core is not solid, you'll have a hard time uh, reaching some of those digital transformation goals. So MDM has shifted from nice to have to must have. So that means good things for for the future of MDM and data management and data governance. I would argue the same is, is very much true for governance although uh, companies uh, kind of struggle there a little bit. Um, And in the future, I I think we can see some really cool stuff. Um, I think we're going to see some really cool stuff around uh, widespread data sharing. I think we're going to see the creation of more uh, what I would call sharing networks of data, where you could imagine maybe an MDM of MDMs that sits above companies, right? MDMs today sit above sources of data within individual companies, Right, right. Those those infrastructures are all being managed largely the same way, <laughs> right? And, and a lot of the data quality rules and a lot of stewardship is the same, right? Company A and company B and company C are all largely managing data, high-level data for their customers in a very similar way. The supplier onboarding processes has more commonalities than differences across large corporations. And I think if you think about the idea of MDM sitting on top of MDMs, where you could even maybe even envision shared governance or shared data management across companies instead of within individual companies. So I think there's some cool stuff out there. Layer in the notion of maybe even something like blockchain. Uh, On top of that, as as a governance layer, and maybe even as an incentive layer for some of this shared data management, I think things start to get really interesting. So obviously MDM is your sweet spot. Do
0: you consider your sweet spot data fabric though too as well? (laughs) Is it Um,
1: one of you or no? Uh, it's, uh, I hold a place in my in in, in me for data fabric. Most certainly, uh, I was taking when I was a Gartner analyst. I was taking inquiries related to data fabrics. I was very close uh, to a number of the kind of the key thought leaders in the data fabric space uh, on the Gartner side, um, notably uh, Guido Di Simone, uh, Ankush Jane, uh, Mark Byer, a few other analysts at Gartner who are really kind of pushing the fabric narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a believer in the fabric. Absolutely, I'm a believer in the fabric. Uh, I think it's worth noting, though, that I mean we are easily five to seven years away from any sort of market maturity there. So I think that we are way ahead of our skis, as it were, metaphorically speaking, at least from a kind of a vendor and hype perspective. Um, you know, there are a handful of companies on the planet that have have implemented a true data fabric architecture, at least as Gartner would define it. So right, they, you go got to
0: define that for me then. I mean, yeah. what, what are we missing? Is yeah. True.
1: Well, yes, data fabric is around uh, more sophisticated integration patterns, right? Yes, data fabric involves widespread virtualization of data into hyperscaler type environments, right? Uh, the key thing that is missing from uh, 98% of infrastructures that are saying they're doing data fabric today is what is this notion of what Gartner would call active metadata, right? So you can have a catalog sitting underneath, as a, sitting as a kind of a foundation of a uh, wannabe, for lack of a better word, or of an early stage. That's a better way of saying it. You could have a data catalog sitting at an early stage data fabric architecture and you could have a stated goal of wanting to get to a data fabric. But if the metadata sitting underneath that catalog is not being used in an active way, meaning if the data itself is not used to help inform its classification use and governance, then I would argue that's not really a true data fabric architecture. Meaning, can you leverage metadata to start automating rules around what i just referred to as the classification usage and governance of of data, right? Can you use AI, ML, other advanced technologies to have data model automation? Yes, some companies are already doing that today. Can you have metadata start to inform and potentially even automate some data quality rules? could you do things like use successful transactions as indicators of data quality and unsuccessful transactions as indicators of poor data quality, right? This is, this is what we mean by active metadata, where the data starts to inform the business rules for data management within that fabric. And that's where we're, most companies aren't there yet. There's a handful of companies on the planet who are actually kind of doing that stuff. Uh, I would argue that is key to the data fabric and really kind of what sets it apart from existing legacy data architectures.
0: Well, the one thing I would say is, I think at IBM we're ready, but to your point, I don't know that all customers are ready. Uh, oh, technology's
1: there. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. This What you're talking about is a quantum leap, or what I was just talking about from a fabric yeah. perspective is absolutely a quantum leap from a governance perspective, right? M- meaning the notion of having the machines take over um, yes, augmentation is, is, is there, and, and companies are warming to that, where you could have machines help help to inform decisions about data modeling, data, data architecture, pat, or data integration patterns, data quality rules, right. uh, what's master data, what's not master data. You could certainly leverage machines to help augment that, but the notion of becoming more automated, like truly automated there, would require a level of data governance maturity that 99% of companies does, just don't have.
0: Hence, the reason we're here to discuss it. You didn't mention anything about Forbes.
1: Uh, so that just started, um, and uh, I joined what's called the Forbes Technology Council. Uh, yeah. I've been published once, uh, and and look forward to getting published a lot more. Uh, the articles that uh, that I'll be writing have to go through an editorial process that takes some time. Uh, but I just submitted one yesterday, actually related to some of the topics that, that I. How included. does that work? You like submit, and they
0: choose and pick and choose which one yeah. to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some there's some articles that staff writers are, you know, in some topic areas that staff writers, they they carve out and say, hey, don't write anything about this because these are staff writers that are going to be doing this. But there's other areas where I'm a subject matter expert and they're happy to take submissions on that.
0: Before I move forward, I also got one more question on the AOL.
1: How long did AOL? Ten years, a decade. And you say you saw the rise and the fall? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was wild. Yeah. So I mean, and, <laughs> that had to be
0: like an emotional experience of some sort.
1: It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, because at the time, you're talking like 1996, 1997. So when I joined AOL, uh, they had it, seven, eight hundred thousand subscribers, which sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. But they got up to near well north of 40 million um, at kind of at their peak and maybe even more than that. Um, but at the time, we were all largely a group of fairly young people that were figuring out how to do this in real time, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, and we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants because it really, arguably, hadn't been done before. At least what we were doing. Uh, then you know we started to get involved with more you know kind of established media companies. We started to hire a lot of executives from like old newspaper people and ma- magazine people. And then the Time Warner thing happened, and everything changed. Where a lot of the time order executives kind of got interwoven with AOL. But at the time, when, when things were going crazy and it was 96, 97, 98, I, I it, it was, it was just kind of day by day, um, figuring out things as we went, and we had a great product. Uh, we were the internet on training wheels, and we were proud of it. Right. That was that was like the knock of AOL, yeah. which was it's like, oh, AOL, well, that's internet on training wheels. And we're like, yep, that's exactly right. My parents can use it. Right.
0: I just remember that
1: you yeah. have mail. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still have an AOL address, by the way. I've had the same email address for twenty seven years.
0: Oh, well, that's fabulous.
1: That's all awesome. yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's my personal brand, right? It's my identity, like the identity. idea of like losing that. But but yeah, I mean that that was it it was pretty wild. Uh, and then things I wouldn't say things came crashing down from an AOL perspective. It was, it's relatively predictable, you know, the kind of the dot com boom because of just all the insanity that were happening and the valuations that were happening at the time. And, you know, companies with, with, with a decent business plan that hadn't even launched anything, we're getting millions of dollars thrown at them. So, I, you know, I, I think that some of that, the demise there was, uh, was Did inevitable. Did you get out at a good spot? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> like you know, yeah, I'm, I'm single and, you know, and I, I, I remember vividly sitting down with a financial planner and, and I was, I, we didn't, Really, kind of know what we, what we. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, right? I got, I got these AOL shares when I joined. And by the way, I started in their call center. I started in an AOL call center in Jacksonville, Florida, making seven dollars an hour, and answering tech support phone calls and troubleshooting Hayes modem commands, right? Like that's great. Yeah, like like it's the like where you would hear you know the in the background the, like somebody is calling and they're saying, "Hey, I can't get connected." Uh, but it's like even even then it's like you know here's 300 shares of, of, of AOL. I was like I, okay whatever this sounds fun, and then four years later I'm having a conversation with a financial advisor and they're like well you know this 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 you know this this is relatively significant and and you know what do you want to do? And I said well okay what are my options? And of course any financial advisor would say you know what's your risk profile? And at the time my risk profile was double down man let's roll the dice. <laughs> because for where I was in my life, it made sense. It's like, let's roll the dice, double down. This internet thing's not going away. Um, And yeah, that ended up being, you know, not the greatest choice, but it's, it's,
0: (laughs) it's a learning experience, right?
1: Yeah, I know. I I know several people who were in their early thirties who, who retired with, you know, multi-millions in the bank who are all now just working normal jobs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know many of those as well. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's not unique to, to yeah. AOL. Oh, I went no. the dot com just as well. And yeah. I, I know we got a lot of listeners out there that are probably saying, What's his whatever? You did it better than me. You've got a pretty new. Oh the Hayes modem
1: command. Yeah, the oh. modem
0: command. Oh,
1: this is this is analog connectivity over, over over the public switch telephone network. Right? Where just like picking up a phone and go, boop. Like the the, the yep. instructions for the network were, were delivered through sound yeah. right and, and that was exactly how, how modems worked, which was at the beginning of a session there would be these sounds that were communicated to establish you know here's here's who I am here's you know here's here's my protocol right uh, here's what I here's how I expect to receive data and it was I mean it was like duct tape bubble gum and smoke signals. <laughs> But it worked,
0: it did work. Hey, <laughs> yeah. it worked, it got us here. We needed that leap to, to, to get to the point. Yeah. So. yeah, all right. So, I have a making data simple podcast, and I don't know that we talk enough about governance. I don't know that you can ever talk enough about governance. Governance is absolutely critical, MDM is absolutely critical. But I think AI tends to be sexy right now in mm-hmm. the economics piece. So, we get a lot of AI, and what's gonna you know, what we're doing around AI and the future of AI. But I think it's a great opportunity to really hit the governance because, you know, data is just data at yep. the end of the day. And in fact, it's a cost. It's almost a liability unless you can do something with it. To do something with it, you got to know where it is, you know, how to manage it, how to govern it, to have the uh, metadata that you, you mentioned. On yep. the IBM side, we're doing pretty good on MDM as well. Let's start with your definition of MDM.
1: Yeah. So there's a few things. I will I will kind of go by the textbook pseudo Gartner definition of MDM. At at a, at a very high level, uh, MDM can be two things, right? Let, let's separate that first. So first, MDM is a software solution, master data management, um, but it's it's primarily and first and foremost, a discipline, right? It is a way of managing data. So MDM is... The people, processes, and technology, I will just distill it down to that. The people, processes, and technology that need to be in place to ensure the semantic consistency, quality, consistency, uh, fit for purpose of an enterprise's shared data assets. That last bit, so there's a few things buried in there. One is people, process, technology, normal stuff there. Uh, Another one is uh, business rules right semantic consistency meaning definitions right fit for purpose accuracy consistency you know classic data quality stuff that is all governance right this is a subset of governance it's it's not all governance right i mean there there are a lot of governance frameworks out there that say these are the seven or eight things you need to get right mdm kind of wraps around a few core notions of, of governance that are related closely to data quality uh, and then the last kind of key aspect of de- the definition of MDM is this notion of shared data assets, right? The way that I described this when I was a Gartner analyst, it's a great visual. Just imagine a three ring Venn diagram and the three rings could be tables. It could be databases, could be applications. Doesn't matter. The data in the middle though of that Venn diagram, that's your master data. The data that is shared across workflows, processes, systems, databases that needs that consistency, right? That needs... Common quality rules, common definitions, common governance, that's MDM. So, you know, the the, the common forms here are customer, asset, product, uh, employee, location. The list of potential data objects here is relatively long. But most, you know, most MDM objects, we're not talking about a lot of data. I, I have worked with ridiculously large companies where their master, their customer master records were, you know, like a dozen fields of data. Mm-hmm. right? And, and, and it's, the, it's the data that needs consistent management, consistent governance that is, that is master data. And it's not all, it's a significant subset of data. So, you know, we can get, we can get into conversations about architecture and, and what, what we would call implementation styles of MDM. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Kind of old school, top-down, heavy-handed uh, MDM, which a lot of people still think is MDM. When I use that, that, that acronym, it brings out a lot of kind of you know emotions in people, particularly people my age that have been in the space a while, because inevitably, you know what I'll hear is, "Well, we tried that before, it didn't work, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, "Well, here's MDM, it's like, oh, you, uh, mm, yeah, I, that we tried that twice before, and it was a dismal failure. We spent millions, and, and da, da 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 da." But often those are associated with these kind of top-down, heavy-handed styles of MDM, where it is creating a single version of the truth for customers, products, whatever, and then forcing business processes to use that data, right? what we would call more of a centralized pattern of MDM. Some companies are still doing that, but they tend to be very process centric. They tend to be in the manufacturing space with very limited numbers of customers or suppliers, where, where um, kind of process excellence is at the core of their DNA. Most companies are implementing more modern styles of MDM that tend to follow more hybrid type patterns where you can have different versions of the truth based off of use case or based off of application at an operating level, certainly where sales and marketing sees one thing and maybe finance sees a slight, slightly different thing, uh, but at a higher level of the organization at, 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 you know, at higher levels, um, C level different versions
0: of the truth.
1: Then? It's, 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 like- it's, 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 it is different instantiations of the truth. Right. Um, but that, again, that is a, a more advanced, more modern form of NDM that, that requires a more advanced form of data governance, because there's a lot of if then rules there. Right. Meaning if people in sales see one thing and then somebody in finance sees something slightly different. A, a classic example is maybe like a bill to versus a ship to. Right. It's the same customer. Right. It's just a different view of, of the data based on the use case. Bill to is, is, is a finance view of the world and a ship 2 is a maybe more of a logistics or a distribution view of the world. Right. So both can exist at the same time. They're, they're both valid for those individual use cases. Um, I guess we could get into an academic discussion of whether address is, 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 is a valid master data object. But, but point being here is that both can exist at the same time and. If you're doing MDM the right way, at some level, at a higher level of the organization, some of those differences would dissolve. Because if your CEO asks, how many customers do we have? There can really only be one answer.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, right? You don't want multiple versions of No.
1: Well, (laughs) not at higher levels.
0: Here's what I heard you say and in, in see if I missed anything, software solution, single yeah. version of the truth, people, process, and tech in one place, fit for purpose around data quality and sharing of data assets, which yeah. I would term, and you tell me if this is right, is democratizing the data probably based on persona. In other words, I get access to the data I need to get access to and don't get access to the data I shouldn't have access to.
1: Yeah. Anything I missed or did I nail it? Uh, you got it. Uh, sometimes those, the kind of the security aspects, uh, and access and permissions can often sit outside of an MDM where third party, you know, other systems would defer to an MDM for information about who is this person, but what, you know, and, and some other system would manage what rights do they have. Uh, But you could most certainly do that at an MDM. But at a high level, I I think you're right. The only thing that I would add to there is, you know, a a single source of truth to me assumes a specific architecture pattern and way of implementing MDM. Another way of thinking about it may be instead a, a a, um, or or you said a single version of the truth. Uh, Another way of thinking about it would be a a single source of the truth. So everybody's going to the same place, but the versioning may vary.
0: Okay. depending depending on use case. I could buy that. I yeah. could buy that. So you mentioned this. Tell me about the architecture. What is the yeah. right architecture and what is the wrong architecture? Oh,
1: gosh. Well, yeah, the, the typical, the, the reference architecture for MDM, if I was drawing on a whiteboard, just imagine kind of three or four source databases at, at, at kind of at the bottom half of the slide, Right. CRM, ERP, marketing automation, other sources of data, you name it, maybe even a second CRM or a second ERP. That's very, very common. Uh, You know, IBM has tons of customers in in the government space and the financial services and healthcare most certainly where not uncommon to have multiple ERPs. Um, That they're kind of imagine those sitting at the bottom and MDM would sit over top of all of them. Right. And where MDM is pulling source data out of those systems. Right. And again, not all data, just a significant subset of data that the, the, the middle of the Venn diagram, right, the fields, the attributes that need consistent governance, that need consistent quality management and whatnot uh, into that uh, centralized data hub. So MDMs are, in essence, just data hubs uh, that act as key registries, in essence, right, uh, where you could tie all of those keys together out of the source systems uh, and simply just create a registry. Type where it's it's basically a lookup table, uh, or where you could embark on uh, saying, okay, you know what? These there's multiple versions here. We need to distill this down to one, right? There can only really be one, and and that's a kind of a separate architecture here. So where the arrows are only going one way up, right, from the source systems and into an MDM. And by the way, typically data warehouses, BI applications would be consuming data from an MDM. So the BI would be sitting over top of the MDM and using it as a source of data. Um, but where the arrows are only going up one way from the source to the MDM, that would typically infer what we would call an analytical style of MDM, where all you're trying to do is to use it to link things together, but you're not changing the source data at all. This is the, the, typically the approach that people would use to solve for any sort of 360 use cases. Where you're not trying to change source data you're not trying to change any of the applications processes workflows that are used to create or manage that data all you're trying to do is find a way to link it together john smith jonathan smith jj smith right but there can still be a lot of value there if all you're trying to answer is the question of how many customers do we have maybe your company is 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 more of a holding style of company where all you're trying to do is have aggregate reporting right across lines of business the other style of MDM is where there are bi-directional arrows going up and then coming right back down, right? Where the data comes from source systems, MDM, MDM makes some decisions, applies some common business rules, and governance rules, and then pumps the data back into the source systems. More of an, what we would call an operational style of MDM. So high level, those are the two styles, analytical, operational. Which ones are used most? <laughs> analytical by far, because uh, it's easier. It's a lot easier and it can still drive a ton of value. So... When I was in the 1500 plus conversations that I had with business leaders when I was an analyst, most of the time companies will start, and I would recommend this, this is the best practice, start with an analytical view where you can use those insights to drive some, some fantastic business value. Great example in the world today right now is how many suppliers do I have? What sort of risk do I have within my existing supply chain? I have no idea how many unique suppliers I really have or what my risk is. Uh, from an availability of supplies perspective. You can answer that question just by having a very, very good report. Now, if you want to get into more operational styles where you are you know, maybe consolidating uh, a supply chains or changing your supply chains, uh, great place to be. Those benefits can be truly transformational. So what we would see here really kind of ties to this notion of maturity, where if you start simple analytical MDM, you can be up and running relatively quickly. By the way, if you're talking to a lot of vendors, and they say, yeah, we can be up in you know three months or eight weeks. That's generally what they're talking about as an analytical style, where you're not trying to solve for any of the source data issues. Where over time, companies will mature, grow their governance function, grow their MDM maturity, and try to evolve towards more of those operational styles over time. Where you truly do start doing things like stopping the flow of garbage in. Where you have real-time API communications between a source system and an MDM. So that if a salesperson is in a CRM trying to create a new record, they don't, right, where it already exists, where there are real-time connections and checks to make sure the data integrity is good and data quality is high. Well, that Those was are,
0: one, one area I was going to challenge you on. So I got it analytic and bi-directional. Yeah. It makes sense, and it makes sense to start with analytical before bi-directional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, you mentioned garbage in, garbage out, whatever. I, yeah. I'm worried about that source data. I, I'm yeah. In most cases, I have yet to see clean source data when we start working on a, a client, client environment.
1: Doesn't exist. Doesn't right
0: exist. Here. So doesn't that add into the equation here? Cause you're making bad decisions. <laughs> you're making decisions off of bad data.
1: Uh, one of my closest friends in the data space, a gentleman named Scott Taylor uses that exact phrase. What he says is, you know, uh, good decisions on bad data are just bad decisions you don't know about yet. Yeah. So yeah, completely, completely agree with you here, but there, Again, getting back to this notion of maturity, I've worked with a lot of companies that say, okay, we need to solve the source data issue or we'll never get value out of MDM. I would challenge that. That's, I would say that's not true. You can get a lot of value out of MDM without fixing for source data. But let's assume that you that you, that you believe that. Let's, let's assume that you say we have to fix the source data before we can get any value out of MDM. What you are signing up to do is transform the entire organization. What you were signing up to do is to solve for culture issues. What you're signing up to do is to solve for maybe even issues related to lack of consistency around incentives for how data is managed in the organization. That's a really, really tall hill to climb. I've done it. I've tried and failed, right? Where I said, okay, you know what? The data coming of our CRM is horrible and we need to stop the flow of garbage in. Hey, chief revenue officer, by the way, we're not going to let your salespeople create new accounts in our CRM. That's wrong a bad idea right <laughs> or we're gonna put or we're gonna put controls in that create the impression that we're slowing down the sales process or making the sales process harder again good luck with that yeah. right can you get there in time I'm not saying to never give up on that I'm not saying you shouldn't try for that but what I would instead say is can you show some value so the sales example is a perfect one by the way can you partner with somebody in sales Build an analytical MDM to highlight cross-sell or upsell opportunities, where you sit down with that sales leader and say, "You know what? What what are you? What are your bonuses tied to next year? Well, my bonuses are tied to net new logos uh, and 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 optimizing our our, our our total customer value. Okay, how would you do that? Well, some sort of uh, report that showed cross-sell opportunities across our lines of business would be really powerful. Boom, right? That could be worth millions and millions to to a large company where you're not fixing this garbage in. All you're trying to do is link it all together. And by the way, even if you get to 60 or 70 percent accuracy there, you can still drive a lot of money. Not perfect. I'm not saying that, you know, I would advocate going in and saying, yes, we're happy with 30 percent of our data being wrong. But if you are able to show success, if you're able to show some business value, the next time you go back to that sales leader to get them aligned to more strict controls around the creation of data, the more likely they're they're, going to be open to what you have to say.